The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. Now presenting the documentary feature, Pamela, A Love Story. From award-winning director Ryan White, the LA Times says, director Ryan White's documentary lets Pamela Anderson retell her story in her own words with her own focus. Emmy nominated for Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Christopher Sharp and Moses Boyo, the directors of Bobby Wine, The People's President. Bobby Wine, The People's President, had its world premiere at the 2022 Venice Film Festival, its U.S. premiere at the Telluride Film Festival, and won the Audience Award for Best Documentary Feature at the 2022 Hamptons International Film Festival. Director Christopher Sharp was born in Uganda, and his early working career was as a film editor in London. Bobby Wine is his feature documentary debut. Director Moses Boyo, also from Uganda, moved to the capital of Kampala to study photography, later took up filmmaking, and in 2016 started his own production company. His work as a cinematographer includes shooting for various networks, including ABC, BBC, and Vice News. This is also his feature documentary debut. Bobby Wine achieves great success as a contemporary musician in Africa and then goes into politics. And he's facing an incredible uphill struggle against a regime and the head of that regime who has been president for decades and has no intention of giving up power. Eventually, Bobby runs for president, and that's really where this story takes off. The campaign is incredibly violent, but it's also one in which you see Bobby inspiring people throughout the country. The filmmakers had amazing access, clearly won the trust of Bobby Wine and his wife, Barbie, and developed this very close relationship. The result is that you are there for all of the major scenes and see firsthand the violence and the effects of violence from which no one is immune, including Moses Boyo, the director who shot much of this footage and himself was arrested, imprisoned, and shot in the face at close range while filming. In fact, it's the filmmaker's ability to balance the graphic violence with the more intimate personal moments with Bobby and his wife Barbie and their family that make this film so impactful, powerful, and emotional. I would urge you to try to see the film in a theater if you can. It's being released by National Geographic Documentary Films, and it opens theatrically starting on June 28th. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and on Twitter also at TopDocsPod. And now my conversation with Christopher Sharp and Moses Boyo, the directors of Bobby Wine, The People's President. Christopher Sharp and Moses Boyo, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being here and congratulations on Bobby Wine, the people's president. Let me just start out by asking, when did you first start following Bobby Wine and what was the film you set out to make in the beginning? Christopher, do you want to take a pass at that? I grew up in Uganda and my father was born there as well, so we had a big connection. 
And I met Bobby early in 2017. I knew his music and loved his music. And then when I met him and Barbie, I was just struck. I completely fell for them. I just thought they were most extraordinary people. I lo always loved Bobby's music. And then to find out that he wasn't just a musician, that he was also someone who actually really cared about his people and someone who really longed for change. Barbie, I mean, as you see in the film, is also a highly intelligent, very wonderful person. And between the two of them, they are compelling. So I went out to Uganda and I spent some time with them and I met Moses there. Then we got together and we decided that this was a film that we could make together. And we ended up filming for five years. And we shot 4,000 hours of footage. So there was a huge amount of work to do in the edit suite, trying to decide which story we were going to actually tell. The whole thing about documentary filmmaking is you never know how it's going to end. And you never know, even though you know you've got a good story and you know that these are wonderful people and you know it's important, but you just don't know if it's going to develop or something was going to happen to Bobby, which was always a big fear of us, or that there was something that was going to make filming impossible. So it's always a bit of a leap of faith. And Moses, did you want to add anything to that? I was introduced to Chris through a friend we had worked with for some time. And when Chris reached out, I had already been listening to Bobby and he had just got it into parliament and he was just speaking to my heart and many other Ugandans. Um, at the time, I was paying attention to politics, but I wasn't really involved. I was just happy to remain on the sidelines, shoot film stuff, but still not happy with the situation back home. But he was asking all of us to get involved and to participate in the goings on in our country. I was like, this guy, this is like a film happening in front of us. But when Chris reached out, I was just like, wow, Chris, thank you for making this film and wanting to make it anyway. So we then started working on the film right away. In the beginning, you know, I just felt like I'm going to shoot this and onto the next thing. But then more and more, as I realized how passionate Bobby was about change and his wife, Bobby, and the team they were building around them and the political party they were building and the movement and the revolution and the inspiration, the music. I was like, wow, this is just an incredible individual. And I was more and more drawn to carry on with the story. We didn't know when we should stop filming because there was always stuff happening. Another challenge I think we had with Chris was to decide, okay, when do you film what you should film? Because anything was happening all the time. There was many attempted assassinations against Bobby, his children, his family, you know, people are being kidnapped, people are disappearing. And we had, there was multiple characters whom we followed many different nuances that were coming up in the story, but we got to a point where we decided we wanted to also tell a story of love between Bobby and Bobby and his the children. And whilst we're telling this Ugandan story, there was this beautiful thing happening between them and we wanted to use that thread to tell the whole sub story and we thought that could be compelling. For folks who have listened to this show before, I have a particular interest in this question of when there's a creative team, how you divide up the roles. So can you tell us a bit about how you worked together as a team of two directors and who did what? Moses did a lot of the shooting. 
And then we had a couple of other people shooting, especially initially. So I mentioned before we had Sam and another guy called Michaela. Mm-hmm. And then Moses really got stuck in and did a lot of the filming. I did a lot of the thinking, talking to Bobby, talking to Barbie. And then I did a lot of the editing. So the editing was because we just had so much material. We had these 4,000 hours and it was just thinking, firstly, how are we going to put it into an order? And then we could have made a series. There were so many different ways of playing it. But Moses and I got on extremely well. And I think it was we both had a very similar idea of what we wanted to achieve. There was never any conflict or there was never any disagreement really with the film we were trying to make. It was a very happy partnership. And I think working with two directors, as was the case here, it really worked because you can talk stuff out. You can come up with different ways of doing it. You can come up with different takes on it. We'd spend a lot of time discussing whether we should interview people or whether we should do that. So it worked super well. And I think that's demonstrated in the film we ended up making. I mean, it worked out really well uh, when Chris reached out and we got things going and we were talking all the time, talking about the film. I would sleep dreaming about the film and wake up thinking the film because the story was also evolving while we were making it. These were present characters in front of us and things were happening in their lives. So it was such a long experience of just crafting the story as well was just, and it was difficult too because Chris was editing and on the ground and you you hope for things to happen, but then things change a bit and this happened a lot as well. But then uh, we ended up with a very beautiful film that we're really proud of. So Moses, you just mentioned, you know, the film does take place in the present moment. You're following this present tense action as it's unfolding. So there's not a lot of time spent, for instance, on Bobby's career as a musician. You just kind of give us a taste of that. I'd love to hear more, though, about Bobby the musician before we move on to talk about the events in the film. For those of us who aren't that familiar with him as a musician, what can you tell us about his style of music and how he fits into the music scene in Uganda and Africa? So Bobby is, I would say, I think here it's called pop, but it's R&B uh, pop in Uganda, we call it Afrobeat music. He's amazing. He's just an incredible musician, very conscious as well. His music is really conscious. And this is what has caused him, caused his music to be banned from airplay. And right now, if you play his music in Uganda, you can't lose your license on a radio station or TV station. His music has been banned, but he is such an incredible musician. He's put on massive shows in Uganda. He's played in Kenya. He's played in Jamaica. He's played here in America. He's played in Europe. Like he does very well as a solo artist, but also as a collaborator with with other artists. And his music is on Spotify. He continues to make music regardless of the situation right now. I was just going to say, just to add to that, I mean, what Bobby likes to do more than anything else is make music. He has made that sacrifice of now he's not allowed to perform. He loves performing. So he's working very much in a vacuum in Uganda. For Bobby, it's been a huge sacrifice not to be able to play his music and not to be able to perform because ultimately he's a musician. And he says often, I'd love to go back to just being a musician. If you're an artist and you can't paint or you can't, 
make music, it's terribly difficult for him. So again, demonstration of the sacrifice he's made. Yeah, and he was an award winner. Like he's won lots of like best song of the year in Uganda and in East Africa. He's played with like most of the great musicians in East Africa, you know. His shows sell out. The really final show that he made was just so packed. I think the most packed show in Uganda at the time. The next show he tried to do, it was, it was blocked, you know, the venue was cordoned off and of course there was lots of violence. And also the music, we did not show most of the part of the making of the music, but the music is a central part of the film, as you see, and it helps us tell the story as well. From Batman, from Kamocha to everything is going to be all right at the end of the film. One of the things that makes Bobby so effective in communicating with people is his ability to mix music with politics. Often through his music videos, for lack of a better term, that he is recording by walking through the streets and the villages of Uganda, we see how he's able to sort of meld these two things together. What struck you about Bobby's ability to communicate political ideas and messages through his music? He does it so effectively. What he sings about has obviously changed. He used to sing about what sort of people sing about. He used to sing about girls and life and money and all the rest of it. And then he transformed to basically singing protest songs. But he's talking very directly to the people of Uganda. And his ability to communicate with them is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, Bobby communicate with just about anyone, however poor you are, whatever your living conditions, the one thing you can thoroughly enjoy is music. To be able to listen to someone who's one of their own, because Bobby grew up in a ghetto in Kampala, so he knows the people. He goes back to them. They love him. He knows their life. He knows their struggles. He knows what they're up against. He knows what's important to them, and he can put that into songs, and it resonates. And even you know, when I first heard his music, you love it. It's very catchy. It's very endearing. And he's used that as a political tool. It's really infectious. I mean, as I was watching the film, I found myself humming these tunes. And I'm like, this is interspersed with scenes of just very brutal violence. It almost creates a sense of cognitive dissonance on the part of the audience because you're wanting to just get into the music and then suddenly you're pulled into these scenes where the music meets the politics on the ground. One of the things that I really appreciated about your film is the way that you incorporated these songs into the movie. You show the lyrics on the screen. Can you talk a bit about your approach to how to incorporate the music into the film? We spent a huge amount of time thinking about it. So we had a lot of songs and obviously we got them all scripted. And the whole idea was that there would be no song in the film that wasn't reinforcing Bobby's message. So we didn't want anything just for the music. It had to be appropriate to the stage of the film and what was going on. So, I mean, it, a lot of thought went into it. And as you say, we put the lyrics on the screen and we felt that it actually, in a way, was telling the story for us. A lot of the songs are also very current, like you've got the coronavirus song in there, which we absolutely loved because it showed a completely different side of Bobby. It showed that sort of size of social responsibility. It was just a nice moment where you actually saw this 
whole country coming together in crisis. Everyone's locked up. Museveni has decided no one can go out. And then Bobby steps up and gives everyone a song, which kind of cheers them up and gives them a bit of hope. The music was really important to it. It was always going to be key to the story. Time and again in the movie, Bobby returns home from the campaign trail, which is incredibly demanding mentally, physically, and it's often quite dangerous. And he comes back to his family. And where he's coming back to is, you know, the family home. And it seems to serve as this kind of sanctuary for him. And often you're inside that home. You're there filming. What were your observations as filmmakers of sort of the Bobby outside and the Bobby inside the walls of his house where he is with his wife, Barbie, and their children? Surprisingly, Bobby is very consistent at home. And he teaches his children to understand what's happening. All the time he explains to them why he's doing what he's doing. And the children are also very intelligent and very smart, and they know exactly what dad is, is, is up to and when he's arrested or locked up or when anything happens. And they have such a tightly knit family and very close. The bond is just, it's, it's really incredible. It also really energizes him. I was welcomed in their home as, as a friend, as a brother, to the point that when we finished filming, the kids would ask what happened to Uncle Moses, where did he go? Yeah, and they gave us such great access. And we, we got to a point where the camera was just invisible, really. And that enabled us to capture a lot of those very beautiful scenes and very personal family moments, consequently build up. Just to add to that, I think the sort of nature of Ugandans and certainly the nature of Bobby and Barbara is they're incredibly hospitable. And so Bobby has an open house. People are turning up the whole time. There's people coming to see him. There's people turning up and eating. And central to all of that home life is Barbie. Barbie is an extraordinary mother, an extraordinary strong woman. She's very, very strong, very, very impressive. And she is really the center of the home. When we started editing, we very quickly realized that the more Barbie we had in the film, the better the film was. Bobby would test a lot of his speeches with, with Bobby, and she gives this advice, and you know, which was very beautiful to see. It is very much a love story, and it is clear from what you ended up with in the final piece that she is not only the love of his life, but she's his number one advisor. There's that incredible scene after the presidential election of 2021 where he seems to really be despairing. And he says to her, what does one do? And he really doesn't know. He's looking for an answer. He's looking for advice. And yeah. of course, the one person he asks that of is Barbie, because he knows she'll come up with an answer. She'll find a way. What's particularly beautiful about their relationship is they both really appreciate each other. But having spent so much time with them, you really understand that the actual mutual respect is really there and it's very powerful and because they're so close they've got these wonderful children so there's been passed on to them and they're all with us here in los angeles they're the most wonderful children they're fantastic in 2018 while he's campaigning for other candidates bobby's driver is tragically shot dead and bobby's taken into custody to a military barracks where presumably he was severely beaten and badly injured. 
It's really, I think, the first time we see the brutality, the naked brutality of the police and the military and how they will basically stop at nothing to silence the regime's critics. I was wondering if you were at all surprised about what happened in this incident or did you pretty much know that there was a good chance that this could happen, that the regime had already shown itself numerous times and you were prepared for it? We felt that they might kill him. That was very much on the cards. And I think as Bobby became more and more well-known outside Uganda, he got safer. The people around him did not get safer, but Bobby actually got safer. There was a lot of stories in the New York Times, the London Times, the Guardian. It, they just kept coming. The stories kept coming. And every time a story came out, you thought, wow, he's a little bit safer. After all that terrible stuff happened to him, we went to Washington. You don't really see it in the film, but you do have that time when he's driving along in the car in Washington and he says, I'd love to say to Museveni, what happened to you? You said all the right things. But while we were there, he did a lot of press stuff. So when he went back and we were worried about him going back and what they'd do to him, but we knew that he'd had so much international press that he'd become much safer. I'm presuming that, Moses, you were filming a lot of these scenes of close violence. What was it like for you to be there? And I mean, you have your camera between you and the events that are happening in front of you, but you're right there in the moment. To be honest, at the beginning, I felt like, oh, maybe this just happens to the politician, that the one's getting arrested or tortured or anything like that. But then as we got closer and closer to the election, the army and military became very brutal and they started directing this violence toward journalists, filmmakers, and, you know, people who are close to Bobby, his supporters, and it, it became really violent to associate with Bobby. And it's worse if you're not famous or if you're not known. By the end of the filmmaking, I had been arrested. I had been locked up in prison. There was a court case against me. We had a couple of camera equipment, confiscated lenses, microphones, drives, a computer, hard drives. Uh, lots of things happened and we could go on and on about this violence and what happened to me. But toward the election, actually, uh, just after nomination, I was shot in the face at close range. I had been identified because we followed him for five years. My journalist accreditation had been withdrawn. And as we speak, I'm actually living in, in Los Angeles now with my wife and we're seeking asylum here. It's not that we, we chose to just come and live here. We, we had to flee the country. And I call myself lucky because there's people who have died. There's Bobby's supporters who have disappeared. There's people whom we do not know where they are. Some are still locked up in dungeons. There's uh, people from his campaign team who are locked up, some who are locked up on, on 30th of December, some who are still in prison until today. So it got to a point where it was really violent and it was almost like we were, it was like Bobby Wine, his team and his political campaign against the army. With nothing, they had the guns and, and all the, the tear gas and everything. And the state apparatus netted against people, unarmed people who are very peaceful. And Bobby's message continues to remain nonviolent, peaceful resistance. 
But the violence continues until today. People are still being picked up off the streets. People close to Bobby with bodies showing up. People mutilated and maimed. And, and actually, we filmed lots and lots of these individuals, survivors who had been People who had, had their eyes gogged out, tongues cut, fingers, and many other things that, very graphic things that we, we can't speak here. But as Chris had mentioned earlier, we wanted to tell a story of hope as well, and a story of love, and we felt like this was the best way to, to tell the story. So in 2019, Bobby announces he's running for president under the National Unity Platform Party. And the second hour of the film shows us the many twists and turns of the campaign. COVID hits during the middle of this. There's a, a rather predictable, brutal crackdown that happens by the military and the police of Bobby, his team and their supporters, as you've described, just some horrific scenes of violence perpetrated by the police and the military, indiscriminate violence, really. Yeah. But there are also these moments of great joy in the campaign. I wanted each of you to talk about a special moment or day during the campaign that has really stayed with you. Wow. Uh, there are many. Because there's more dark days in that campaign than the beautiful days. But yes, we did have a couple of great days. And the one thing I have learned and saw about Bobby, one of his strongest, I think, characteristics is regardless of the violence and what's going on, he wants to have a laugh. He cracks a joke. At one time, Bobby told him, I hope when you become president, you never lose that. Because sometimes even in the seriousness, even in the chaos, him, Nubian, uh, Dan Magic, Eddie, and Selector, and all these guys around him, and David, they have a laugh and those many of those moments. Most of those were in the studio while making music. But I think the moments that really stayed with me in those campaigns were when I would look at those faces and the hope in those faces, you would look at the women, these old women, pregnant, or like someone who are just like, really even young kids, like really cut across old men running, literally running from their gardens as we went around the country in these rural areas. But it was all hope and just the, the happiness that you would see in their faces. And I think some of these things would made, made somebody very angry. And I tell you, most of the time, we didn't fuel our vehicles on the campaign trail. It was the people that were giving little half a dollar or a dollar to Bobby or Boda Boda men who would follow. It was almost like a big caravan going around the country as we embarked on that campaign. Because people saw hope and some of the, the people in that caravan were never invited. They just showed up to follow and support. And hands down, I believe Bobby won that election. Hands down, it, it was really rigged. Just saying what Moses said. So Boda Bodas are people who have scooters and they make a living by taking people around on the back. And there's a lot of them. And they absolutely adore Bobby Wine. They have stickers of him. And we have these wonderful scenes where you would get hundreds of these bikes and you've got the sun going down and you've got all of these guys and they do tricks on their bikes. So they stand on the seat while they're driving, they put their legs in the air. And it's just a great sense of joy and hope. What was very dark was that Bobby had all these people around him. He had all of his friends around him. He had all these people who had sacrificed so much. And what Museveni did is he removed them all. He arrested everyone and they were in detention for five months. And he did that to isolate Bobby. 
And to go from being amongst all your friends and your campaign team and this whole group to suddenly find yourself totally alone as the elections are coming back. And I think you see it very clearly in the film when Bobby's ultimately left and Bobby says it, they're left alone. Imagine being a politician who's running a campaign and suddenly everyone around you has been taken away from you. It's, it's brutal. Again, it plays into the idea of Bobby and Barbie and this wonderful love story that ultimately it's, it's just them. There was moments of great hope and great joy. And then, um, but with Bobby, there's always going to be moments of great joy because he's a joyful person. When we showed him the film, he said, why have you made the end so sad? <laughs> and we were like, it is sad. It is sad. We can't pretend it ended happily because it's sad for the people of Uganda. Maybe it's sad, but it's also tinged with bittersweetness at the end. Yeah. There is one of those dark moments, though, during the campaign when Bobby's hauled away by police during a rally, he's taken into custody. And people go into the streets of Kampala to protest. The police start shooting people and about 50 people are killed. Probably we don't know exactly how many. Later, Bobby returns to this site where he was arrested. And then there's more violence and members of his own team are shot, presumably by police. And then there's this harrowing, I think it's an ambulance ride with the team, several of whom are seriously injured. First of all, were you in that car? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was right there in the ambulance, yeah. Can you just describe what that was like for you? Because it's just such a tough moment. I'll say again, like Christopher said, Bobby's just really joyful. And most times he has the strength to go through anything. But I've seen him break down twice. And that was one of the times I had seen him break down in that ambulance. And that's not the worst that had happened or that had ever happened, but it was so close to him. And he saw that the police would go every inch. This violence was not meted only against journalists, so his friends, but even like fellow policemen, because the guy lying down was a, was a policeman, a police bodyguard given to him by the electoral commission, the guy whose eye was hit, the guy who was lying right down. And in those moments, I think just by intuition, I really, we would talk about this with Chris multiple times, but in a lot of those violent moments, I don't know what could happen to me, but I would be very, very calm. And I would film some of the most incredible footage. I would just be really calm and just really observe what's going on. And in those moments, I, I stayed with Bobby and I knew there was just so much going on in his mind and I just stayed there. And his friend, his music producer, Dan Magic, had just lost a finger and he plays instruments. And, you know, this is like a very personal, like, moment. He plays keyboard and he had just lost a finger. So in my head, I was just thinking what's going on in their mind. And I just wanted to capture that on screen. But that was really a dark day. And we drove in that ambulance amidst even more shooting around us and there were still trying to block that ambulance. We got to a health center and they were shooting tear gas into a health center where there was children being like, there was a theater where children were being backed. And I was just like, what are they thinking? There's many of these moments, many of these moments. The regime in Uganda will go above and beyond to continue to entrench themselves in power, regardless of whatever human rights they're breaking. 
And there's a moment in that scene where Bobby says, I'm sorry. Can you talk a bit more about that part of the scene? So that guy is Dan Magic. He's basically, I mean, you have tears running down Bobby's face because it's one of his best friends. And I think also, and we spoke a lot about this to Bobby, there's a sense of responsibility on his part because yeah. he's doing this and what's he putting the people through? So these guys are going to follow him to the end, but he feels that he's the one leading the way. And I think that is most captured in that scene with him, his head on Dan Magic, tears running down his cheek, saying, sorry, I'm so sorry. And that's it. You know, he's saying, I'm sorry, I feel responsible. I've put you through this. And this really plays to like Bobby's personality, even his supporters. If something happens and he hears about it, he wants to know what has happened and to who, because he felt really responsible to these people and the people who are following him. It's just a great characteristic of him as a leader of the movement. Ken, when we were editing, there was just so much violence. It was just on and on and on and on. And we just yeah. got the sense that it, we cut it down so much because it was just, it, first it felt quite repetitious, but it was almost just too much to watch. And we had people who'd been filmed, who'd been killed and thing, and you just had to take it out because it changes the experience. As an audience, if you're looking at just a catalogue of tragedy and hurt, you can sort of somehow lose your way and the other bits of the story get lost. There's a scene with Bobby where he's interviewed, I think it's on the eve of the election of 2021, and he's being interviewed by international press. Bobby makes a point of speaking directly to the West, and he says essentially to the U.S. and the EU and these other Western powers, like, why aren't you taking more responsibility for how your support of this regime is being used against the people? Can you talk more about just how Western support of the Ugandan government is causing direct harm to the people of Uganda? I'll tell you what it is. Basically, Uganda used to be British and they got independence. Was it 1962? It, it had a sort of a big history of a big connection with Britain. Since then, we had various people, but Museveni has been in power for now 38 years. And he is viewed in the West as being relatively stable. No one in America or Europe thinks that he wins the elections fairly. No one thinks that he treats his people well, but just purely from a Western point of view, they think he's stable and he's very clever at doing some things that suit us. And a good example of that is the African Union who have troops in Somalia, Congo, Sudan, and particularly in Somalia, there is a group called Al-Shabaab, which are very similar to ISIS, and the West are obviously very worried about them, and Museveni sends in troops to try and keep them under control. He currently has about, I think, about 6,000 troops there. And the perception is, because he's willing to do these things, even though he's a dictator and he doesn't treat his people well and the health collapsed and the education systems collapsed, it's okay, but it's not okay. It's really not. And what Bobby is doing in that scene is saying, please don't sponsor our oppression because the West gives Uganda a lot of money. The Americans give over a billion pounds. 
some of that goes into educational programs and healthcare programs, but a lot of it goes into the military. And the weapons and the training that's supplied to the Ugandan army to do their stuff in the Congo or do their stuff in Sudan or Somalia is used against the people of Uganda. It's shocking. And that's what Bobby's saying. I think there's also a perception, and maybe it's left over from, you know, Saddam Hussein or Gaddafi or all these people where we have stepped in or we have made a point. I think there's a feeling where it's fine as long as it's stable. But what you have in someone like Bobby Wine and the people around him, you'd have better governance. I have no doubt about that, that Bobby would be a fantastic president. He's got extremely smart people around him. And I have no doubt that he would be very West-leaning, much more than Museveni is. Museveni has close ties with Russia and with China. I don't think Bobby would do that. He's very pro-West. So the idea that we would prop up this dictator because we're worried that someone else may come along and not do what we want, in this case, is not true. But that's the story. That's what it's about. It's about sacrificing the fact that he mistreats his own people and the fact that he's willing to do some things that we feel are militarily important. Moses, you told us earlier that you yourself are in exile. You're in Los Angeles. You're seeking asylum in the United States without jeopardizing your asylum status. What would you tell the U.S. government about its support of this regime? What would you like them to hear? To start with, we hope that this film will highlight this topic very clearly. Museveni and his regime back home have closed all legal regime change options. They've closed all peaceful transitional processes. The elections are rigged, as you've seen in the film. And there's individuals like Bobby Wine, Bobby and his political party, who are Democrats pushing for change peacefully. Like in the scene that you were describing, Uganda is in a place where it could easily become the next Sudan. And then we see the refugee crisis in the north, in the north of Africa, yeah. in the Mediterranean Sea, the boats that are drowning on the English Channel. But this problem starts on the continent. This problem starts with dictatorial regimes, regimes that stay too long, regimes that oppress their people and essentially cause war like what we have in Sudan today. What we have in Sudan today is a power vacuum that was caused by an exit of a dictator who had stayed in power for so long. We could run in a very similar problem in Uganda if individuals like Bobby and the, the fight back home is not supported as it should be. In the Sudan, there's the paramilitary forces and national army. In Uganda now, we have the SFC who are headed by the president's son, General Mohozi, who has now been taken to the ICC for the crimes him and his father over saw during the election, the torture and all that. But what I'm trying to say is a lot of these problems, like the migrant crises around the world, can be stopped if the problem is sorted out back home. The instability in West Africa, the instability in the Horn of Africa, has caused all these migrants, immigrants that we see now going to Europe. Because it's not really a choice that they want to, you know, to live in a different country. No, because these, these journeys that they, they embark on are horrific journeys and harrowing journeys. I wouldn't think any human would want to take themselves through that just to live in a different country. No, they are fleeing war. 
they are fleeing uh, regimes like what we have in Uganda. So if there is any way that we can stop or prevent situations like what we have in the Sudan, Central African Republic, the recent coups that happened in Mali and Burkina Faso, the riots happening in Senegal right now. As you may know, another opposition leader like Bobby Wine, Sonko, was locked up in prison for trumped up charges. So we see this pattern happening in Africa. So the West, like Bobby says, instead of sponsoring the oppression on Uganda, they can stand aside and actually stand for rule of law, democracy, and some of these values that they themselves say they stand for. Yeah, we don't want to be let down. I think what Bobby's just saying is, by all means, give aid, but make the condition be free and fair elections. It's as simple as that. And that could happen because what happened this time is these elections weren't monitored. They weren't monitored by the Americans and they weren't monitored by the Europeans. And that was mainly because the passes weren't given, the visas weren't given. But the US could easily say, and Europe could easily say, listen, we're not going to give any more aid unless you have free and fair elections and we're going to monitor them. That's it. Speaking to that point, could you give us an update on Bobby and Barbie and the family? You mentioned they're here in Los Angeles for the screening, but in terms of life back home and also just the political situation, is there another election coming up in 2025? Is Bobby likely to be a candidate? What do we know at this point? So there's an election in two years' time, and Bobby has said he's going to run again. Moses and I have spoken about it, and we're talking to Bobby about it, whether the outcome can be different. And we said to Bobby last night, surely it will just be the same. And he said, the one thing that would make it not the same is exactly what we've just been discussing just now, is if the West turned around and said, we're going to insist that these elections are monitored and that they are perceived as being free and fair, that would change everything. And so Bobby's mission, and we really hope the film helps, is that we hope it brings awareness to the situation in Uganda and it makes people demand of their governments in the West that they keep an eye on these sham democracies who we support. I'd like to give each of you a chance to just give us one final thought about your sense, maybe seeing the world through Bobby and Barbie's eyes of the glimmer of hope for the future in Uganda. I'm I'm very hopeful for Uganda because Bobby is very hopeful for Uganda. And we've met so many wonderful people there who are so capable. And the people who are there at the moment, the people in power are not the capable people. And I, being myself a great optimist, I always feel that eventually the good guys win. And I think that's going to be the case. My hope and prayer is that this film ultimately will show to the world the resilience of Bobby Wine and the revolution back home and his wife, Bobby, and how the fight for freedom and, and the spirit to continue fighting. As Christopher just said, they continue to fight. Many times there's been questions of him leaving the country, but he wants to stay home close to the people, close to the fight, close to the revolution. And we hope that this film helps to bring that change that we all hope for. Thank you both so much for being here. And I would also salute your own resilience in this five-year journey in making the film and 
creating really, I think, a timeless and timely document about what's happening in Uganda. Hopefully it will awaken a lot of people to what's happening in Uganda and what needs to happen. So thank you so much and congratulations again on the film. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Do each of you have a hidden gem, a documentary that you think maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves? Yeah, we were just talking about this earlier. So one of the guys who shot on the film was a very accomplished DOP called Sam Bensteed. And Sam had previously made a film in southern Sudan, which is where he was living. And it was called Zorro and African Tigers. And it was a film about a football coach in South Sudan who goes there and he's, I think he was originally from Serbia. And he goes there and he gets this team together and he really tries to pull them up and he takes them to Kenya to play football. And it's a wonderful moving story and it's really touching. And it meant a lot to Moses and I because Sam was such a, he was such a great guy and he was a great cameraman and he was very supportive to us both.